everyone and welcome to That's A Wrap Podcast. I'm your host Joe Downey. And I'm your other host Matt Parkinson. Matthias P. Matthias P. Uh, the date of recording today is not the 18th because that's the last time we recorded I believe. Or this... Did we record? No, we recorded No, we recorded earlier than that. I think. No, later. When did we last record? A while ago. It was a while ago. Uh, the date today is the 7th uh, of not June but July. Wow, I'm doing great guys. Sorry. We've been um, on a long hiatus, I think. We have. We, um, we have. Because I, I I, think in this household, at least, I, uh, I had the latest deadline. Mm. And it was taxing. But it's done. I'm now a free man, yeah, as yeah, well yeah. as Matty P. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. done, done at, least, at least until September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The time of recording today is 4.08. And, uh, yeah. Oh, should we talk about what we're talking about or should we do some social media uh do you want to get some admin stuff out the way first if you want yeah so folks remember to follow our instagram at taw podcast that is taw podcast if you ever want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about our dms will be open there uh films topics everything and you can also check out our facebook page uh if you type up that's a rap podcast or taw podcast and make sure to give us a like and share because it really helps out the show we are available on spotify what else are we available on matt anchor Yes. Got another one? I'm going to keep testing it. Oh, I don't remember the, the smaller ones. Not sm- I shouldn't say smaller ones. What's the third one that pops to your head? You don't, you've got Just, Spotify, you've got Anchor. Uh, remind me, please. Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts, that was it. Got We're also on podcasts. Facebook and Instagram. That's, yes, <laughs> that's the way we got more. Yep. We got more, more, more streaming services. Pocket <laughs> Casts, Radio Public, Overcast, and Apple Music. So make sure to give us a follow on those platforms and leave a share and leave a review where available because it really helps out the show. Please forgive like my keep... ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> Joe does all the admin stuff. Uh, yeah, he's a good boy. <laughs> to a weird degree today because I am knackered. If you'd like to keep up to date with the latest films that we're watching, guys, uh, both. On the podcast and outside the podcast, you can check out our letterbox pages at Joe Film User and Clappy P. Clappy P. And if you would like to sponsor the show, make sure to message our Facebook page or email me at joedowney280 at gmail.com. I feel like I'm becoming like a dial tone <laughs> for this now. Like and those automated messages. At the end of each episode, we usually say where each film we talk about is available on. So, Indeed. for example, one of them is available on Netflix and the other two are available on Amazon and YouTube. I yes. believe YouTube, uh, YouTube for a, pr- a cheaper price, yeah. ever so slightly. And if you have, if you are a uni student and you are currently using Bob, Twenty Fifth Hour is available on there as well as all the pretty much most of Spike Lee's filmography. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, slightly later than when we planned because we yes. plan to talk about this in in is it conjunction the right word with with the yeah words? yeah yeah um, to kind of celebrate the premiere of that and, and whatnot um yeah so that's a great segue um should we quickly <laughs> talk about who's spike lee as a director first before yeah. going off into his latest film i guess what how did you first find out about spike lee oh gosh um i don't know how i first found out about spike lee he kind of just appeared into my life uh, mm. I think so. To be honest, I don't know my answer for that. As, either. as a know you know, as a middle class white boy, I think the oh, first film of his I saw Surrey. was from Surrey. Thank you. <laughs> was uh, was Inside Man. I think that was the first yes. one I saw. Um, 
we we were thinking about talking about that today, I think, but we weren't. I too. It's not for me that one. No, it's, <laughs> I can't remember if it's for me or not. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember liking it somewhat. And then uh, I saw Black Klansman in the cinema. That's probably when I became more aware of his work, I would say. Um, And then lately, I think, I've been looking at sort of less mainstream examples of his work. Like uh, last year we watched She's Gotta Have It Together, which was interesting. Yeah, and um, I've been meaning to watch some of his other films like Malcolm X for a while. Well, he has, I believe, four decades worth of filmography. Be it yeah, films. he started in the 80s, didn't he? Yeah. 80s, yeah. 90s, 20s, 2010s. Well, five now with... Five. The yeah. five decades. But Segway. He's done everything from films to music videos to... Yes. Video games, like... He's, he's been yeah. around. And he's not just done narrative films, he's done uh, documentaries, documentaries as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, four Little Girls and When the Levees Break or Broke. Yeah, um, as well as some Prince and Michael Jackson documentaries, and um, yeah, Spike Spike Lee is just a very like to describe him. He's a very outspoken political filmmaker. He yeah, usually deals with topics of of race and discrimination. Yeah. Uh, he's a big activist for black civil rights in yes. uh in the media, yeah. and outside the media as well. Yeah, well, uh, definitely. He's and been that for. A good at least 30 years now or longer yeah 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 and like a lot of we've talked about previous films of his in in some of our other episodes because mm-hmm. they still hold social relevance and weight today yeah yeah and um, which we'll get into with one of our later films but let's let's talk about the first film of the day and the newest film of his uh, which is the five bloods five bloods yes his newest release came out on netflix uh back in early june i believe yeah, i think it was june. the 7th of june it came out Mm, yeah. And I think this is his first Netflix original, isn't it? His his first Netflix original film, because yes. of the She's Gotta Have It TV series. Oh, yes, yeah. So, yeah. He's got the TV series. First feature on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you describe the synopsis for this one, as I haven't copied and pasted the synopsis? Uh, <laughs> if I can describe it without butchering it. If I, if I do, please don't be afraid to get the synopsis up. Oh, but, I The uh, <laughs> Five Bloods is a drama about five... Vietnam veterans. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a long episode. <laughs> it's uh, about five black Vietnam veterans who, during the Vietnam War, were part of an in, uh, infantry together. Uh, it was uh, five of them, and they called themselves the Bloods, hence the title, The Five Bloods. And after, like, 40 years, I think it is, they've decided to... Or oh, 50 years, I think, actually. Right. A bit longer than that. Uh they've decided to reunite together to come back to Vietnam to look for some lost gold that they buried back during the Vietnam War. And, and also... And to recover the remains yeah. of their leader, Stormin Norman. Played, played by, by Chadwick Boseman. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, where to start with this film? Well, I my first note on here, because usually, like, my notes have become lazier and lazier, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but usually, like, if something's like messy or great like the first note will be like that but yeah. my first note is just delroy lindo because it's such he's a great, great performance. he is he's yeah delroy lindo <laughs> plays the lead in this film and he yeah. it is a great performance he sort of plays the loose cannon of the group yeah. and the, he, he is he, great yeah. he is amazing and i think 
uh, the way I would approach talking about this film to start off with is just like the genre of Vietnam films. Like, right. I was, I was, was curious about this referenced one. In this film, so. Yeah. Cause I was curious about this one. Cause I think the Vietnam war film genre is kind of, it's kind of a fatigued genre at this point a little bit. Cause it like, it it's went weird through. It's weird to look at it as a genre. Cause I, 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 it's like a I, sub genre, I, I guess uh, in a way. Yeah, with, uh, I, uh, the idea of like, historical events becoming their own genre because i yeah you could just say it's just a war film but yeah there yeah. are Viet- the vietnam war films because i like it's in the late 70s and all the way up to the late 80s it was kind of there was a saturation of vietnam war films wasn't there uh, you had the deer hunter you had apocalypse yeah, now yeah. platoon true. full metal jacket and it did kind of back then it became kind of a stale genre i remember a while ago i watched a review with siskel and ebert where they talked about full metal jacket and how it's kind of oh their review of it was basically, oh god, not another Vietnam War film. And it's weird also, looking back I at just, it. Yeah, I just remembered Good Morning Vietnam as well. Good yeah, Morning Vietnam a, as well. <laughs> yeah, and parts of Forrest Gump, I guess. Mm, like, it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot. And the fact yeah. that it's interesting that they said that about Full Metal Jacket, that it was just, oh god, not another Vietnam War film, shows that even at that time, in the right. late 80s, it was a stale genre. So even now, it yeah. must be kind of more stale. But I think the way Spike this, Lee this, yeah. approached it is refreshing it's refreshing yeah for a couple of reasons i think one in the sense that it doesn't it first of all it gives us black protagonists which is always refreshing because in a lot of mainstream vietnam war films a lot of yeah, them are white protagonists even though, <laughs> yeah yeah a lot you might have like the black side characters or something it's like in any right. war film you know you'll have the the black yeah. side characters and the white heroic protagonists played by charlie sheen or <laughs> Martin Sheen. <laughs> just all of the Sheen. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> Yeah. Jesus. I mean, I'd, um, yeah, that I mean, was certainly true. Forrest Gump as well, technically. Forrest Gump as well. Well, yeah, exactly. It's, and know. Good Morning Vietnam as well with Forrest Whitaker. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think that's yeah, that's yeah. one of the reasons it's, it's refreshing. It's something that hasn't been yeah. talked about in media or, like, uh, televised. I don't know the right word for it, but depicted on films. Yeah. Uh, necessarily, even though they're were a lot of black soldiers in the Vietnam War. Exactly, yeah. And it shows that with the archive footage in the beginning of this film. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that, actually. The yeah. archive. Well, a bit about the archive footage, because another reason, the two main reasons I like this film, one, because of its use of black protagonists instead of white protagonists. Right. And the other reason is that, as a Vietnam War film, it shows... I have a lot of respect for the fact that it didn't fully rely on like Vietnam War film iconography, like the sort of the helicopters going in front of the sun over it the did green. That, though. It did that a little bit, but it's <laughs> it, not like it it's main the apocalypse now shot with the Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the, not the like helicopters. It's not sun. leaning on that, I think, because a lot of the film is set in the present day and is right. kind of more yeah. revisionist and focusing on these how the war affected these characters in the long term rather than showing these grand images of like, oh my god, it's the choppers, it's Yeah. You know, yeah. let let's play Fortunate Son, which is such a like tired old cliche. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fortunate Son? I don't know Fortunate a... I know Flight of the Valkyries is just Oh yeah, Flight of the Valkyries as well. But it's like it, it does use that iconography a bit, obviously, but I'm glad that it didn't rely on it, because otherwise that would right. have been kind of tired and, you know, it, of course it'll look great, but you know, other directors have done it before and I've I appreciate Spike Lee for not doing that and for making it more of a present day revisionist Vietnam right. War film rather than yeah yeah with with flashbacks and and all that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the flashbacks so yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the use of archive footage because I like 
Black Klansman's very famous for its archive footage at the end. Mm, yes. And that was his previous film. I feel like it does that in this film, but to the nth degree. There's a lot of archive footage in this film and splicing of that, especially in the beginning. But um, yeah. yeah, what did you think of that? I think I I liked it. I didn't really have a, a problem with it per se. I think, um, like you said, the film is quite messy in its own right, and I, right. I suppose some of that can be attributed yeah. to the overuse of archival footage. But I I liked it overall. I think okay. I think it's. I, uh, what did you think? Well, like, so I really liked it in Black Klansman, but there was a lot of controversy in the sense of people didn't like that Spike Lee was using real-life footage of people's deaths to, you know, mm. sh- like, bring a point home. But I guess with Black Klansman, because he got the permission of the the family, it's arguably okay. But with this, it's... I mean, a lot of the images are famous images, but there's a lot of yeah. footage of, like, dead children or and, and, and other stuff. But at the same time, it's educational, like... They show at the very, very beginning of the film uh, a quote by Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali was at one point sentenced to five years in prison because he didn't want to go and fight in the Vietnam Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a very, it's just, it's, I think that use of footage was incredibly relevant and poignant. Mm. And then what was interesting for me was that they show a clip of Brother Kwame, who's played by Corey Hawkins in Black Klansman, but they have the, the real-life footage of him in this beforehand, and then it kind of goes through uh, other people, such as Angela Davis and uh, Malcolm X, but mm. I'm not too sure what they were saying with the footage of those two, because I don't know a lot about them. But, yeah, it I can see peop- why people wouldn't like seeing some of that footage on screen in terms of because it's real life dead people or, or, or yeah. whatnot but I, I, I felt that a lot of the archive footage was quite educational and helpful I just think it was a bit again used to the nth degree it was a bit it was a lot more than Black Klansman so it's like yeah it, I think in Black Klansman it worked because it's yeah. kind of it was used at the end to finally it was hammer like a, home the message an epi- not an epilogue yeah an epilogue. Yeah. Prolo- yeah. Yeah, an yeah, epilogue. Yeah. Prologue and epilogue. Pro- like epilogue is yeah. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It but, was like that. Yeah, and I think because Black Clansman is a very sort of cleanly written film for the most part, I think. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, but like... Yeah, it's I, a good script. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Oscar winning scripts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I think the fact that it used uh, documentary footage at the end to sort of hammer mm-hmm. home its message very clearly. I think The Five Bloods did that as well. Uh, maybe a bit more rough around the edges, but right. still powerful. And, and I, I'd said this previously before we recorded, but we'll say it now. I do mm-hmm. think this film is messy. Yes. But like, I still like it for the performances and yeah, some of the stuff that hasn't been depicted before. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, just one thing I w- <laughs> one thing I want to get off my chest is a little jokey thing, but then <laughs> <laughs> I think I said this to you earlier that. Um, in the scenes where they show flashbacks of the five bloods when they're meant right. to be younger, they they didn't do anything to make them look younger. And I know you, you justified this. I'm not this. mad at that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not angry at it. Like, I wasn't expecting, like, CGI, like in The Irishman or something. But I was right. saying, like, at least, you know, use some black paint on the bits of grey hair. so Because even in the wide shots, when you they can't see their face... They did do that. No, not in a lot of them. I, okay. I noticed a lot of grey hair in... A lot of the flashback scenes. There's a very good shot at the end when they look 
younger when it's like I a didn't freeze like frame. That at all. No, I, I thought the de aging then looked terrible. So yeah. I was like, I kind of, I was kind of glad that they stuck to their guns a bit. They looked then, a bit smooth. <laughs> yeah, they they just look a bit yeah. I don't smooth know. And photoshopped. Yeah, that's but, fair um, enough. <laughs> so the argument for the de aging in this is that. Well, one, from a technical point of view, they just didn't have the money for it and Netflix wasn't going to give them the money, yeah. which you can argue is a bit weird considering they did that for Martin Scorsese, but I guess the argument on their side is that they don't think that this film is a bigger draw money-wise. I don't know. Mm. But um, yeah, the argument for this is that all these soldiers have... I mean, Paul, played by Delroy Lindo, has probably the the most severe case of PTSD. Yes. But all of the all of the bloods have it, and when there are flashback scenes, they they still picture themselves. So therefore, they don't picture themselves younger. They Mm. picture themselves as they are today. Yeah. And the only one that isn't alive is Chadwick Boseman, which Mm. isn't a spoiler. It's in the trailer, Um, and it's and he's the only one who looks (laughs) younger. Yeah. Yeah, to kind of show how that was, and then also. Spike Lee did, just didn't want to do have like other actors play them. Yeah. Um. Like. No, it's like, it's a good argument yeah. actually. It's it's a very good argument. Um. So, but you you didn't feel feel like it worked. Not in the moment, but I think now that you've because your reasoning for it is very. I mean, well justified. Just I think. <laughs> no, I know. I think it's it's a very good reason. And now that I think right. about it, it I can see where they're going in it. I think in the moment it didn't quite work for me. I was a bit right. distracted by it. But I don't know. Maybe on rewatch. It'll be better, but I just um going back to what you said about the film being messy. I yeah. I was literally yeah just about. To... <laughs> I, I think yeah. like the first hour of the film mm-hmm. could have been condensed to maybe the first half hour because it is right. basically like character introduction, isn't it? And then yeah, it, yeah, it's a, a lot of setup. And then like the this there's a scene in the film which I won't spoil. Something happens mm-hmm. to one of the bloods. Right. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> uh, I believe so. Uh, they could have had that earlier in the film as like a sort of kicking off point I'll, of... I'll, I'll signal it to you so that is it to do with the yep yeah got you <laughs> I think if that came earlier in the film it could have cut on the film's runtime in a positive way okay. and also sort of kicked off the main right. like conflict of the because like the whole thing is them sort of going through Vietnam there's still traces of the war there you know right. some things I don't want to say too much but oh god it's hard right. to talk without spoiling <laughs> So to quickly piggyback off you and let me know if yeah, I'm yeah, skipping yeah. points or not, because the, the the problem with having notes next to me is that it kind of takes you away from the conversation and then you find yourself mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, going on different tangents. But um, what was I going to say? Uh, with the film's messiness, mm-hmm. did did you feel like it was some sort of like hybridization of genres? Because... There's like some parts of this film that are like heist film, and then obviously documentary with the archive footage, and then obviously the war film, and then there's some parts that are just like Last Vegas. Remember that film? <laughs> I don't. I never saw Last Vegas. Or <laughs> it's just like these old buddies like meeting up again, mm. and I, I, there are a lot of Spike Lee films that are messy, and you could argue some films are deliberately messy to show how it was at the time, which yeah. you could say for this, but. I don't know. I'm in two ways about it with with the Five Bloods. I think um, the use of um, like the documentary footage aesthetic changing again and again. Right. I think I think that works because that's mainly an aesthetic thing, and I think mm-hmm. it works to sort of take you back to the time and everything. Uh, on a narrative level, yeah, I think tonally this film 
could have been a bit more focused and a bit more streamlined and focused right. purely on the sort of PTSD side of it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like, it's... Yeah, I think it could... There are some really great scenes in this film, like... There's... The jungle scene. The... Yes. <laughs> Any scenes in the jungle. Any scenes in the jungle. Top tier. Uh, there's a scene where... So one of the Delroy Lindo's character, his son comes mm. along, played by, played by Jonathan, Jonathan Majors, Majors from, from Last Black Man in San Francisco. Who and... nearly jinxed that. <laughs> yeah. um, and something happens with him at some point, which again, I don't want to spoil, but it's right. quite an important scene. And I think that's a great, great scene in the it's, film. It, it is in the jungle. Yeah. Yeah, such... It's... Delroy Lindo and the jungle suspense are my favourite parts probably, yeah, of this film. Yeah, that's my single favourite scene in the film, it's worth I think. It, like, the, it's worth the messiness of the film to watch it for yeah. his performance and those scenes in the jungle, because yeah. it's just great suspense. And but I think, it, yeah, it could have been yeah. a bit more focused on the characters themselves, because I think for a lot of the film, only three of the five bloods have plot relevance. Right. I mean, yeah. that's... yeah. And yeah. then you bring in, like, these two white characters who just kind of are there I did, a bit. Their, their place in the plot was a bit iffy. Yeah, I didn't really like it. I think if they just followed the five also, characters... Also, uh, I'm never going to... I'm going to pronounce his name like... Jean Reno? Stereo- yeah. <laughs> I was going to talk about Jean Reno, stereotypical British Jean, Jean Reno, the French actor, yes. yes. <laughs> his placement in the film was a bit, like... He gave mustache twirling villain. He gave it a lighter tone. Yeah, I agree. He gave it because you were saying about the sort of heist aspect of it. I think his character gave it that sort of light Ocean's Eleven kind of Uh, shit. And I don't really. (laughs) And then the two white the two white characters in there seem to be like somewhat comic relief and somewhat like forced antagonism for the other characters. Yeah, because a lot a lot of this is like a lot of the main conflict should be internal with the five main characters yeah. i think because it's focusing on how they're reliving moments like, from the war the and other... getting memories but yeah i Sorry. know why the other confrontations are there but i yeah. just it it felt a bit like you said a bit iffy a bit mm. sort of watered down and then um do the... see this film guys i know it sounds like we're yeah. bashing it <laughs> no i liked just... it overall because it's a it's a very good film but um and then one of the bloods has a wife who he sees i thought that plot point was a bit yeah. And un- underdeveloped. I thought slash... it, it was underdeveloped. I thought yeah. it would have been cool, but they didn't really do much with it right. at all. Also, the famous Dolly shot in his films in, in, with, with oh, those the, two the characters. floating characters. Felt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> felt out of place and forced. I just. Whereas yeah. I love the Dolly shot in I other, do. other films. I think it depends on the film, doesn't it, with the Dolly yeah. shot? Yeah. Definitely. But I think. Because then, yeah. then it, you could argue if it's, you know, towards the end, it just feels tacked on but it's like but you when i was saying you could, like we're just berating this film <laughs> when you were saying when i said earlier that you could cut the first hour to half an hour i think right. like you could cut the scene at the beginning when they're having drinks to be quite a bit shorter i think you could yeah. cut the scene with the wife to be a lot shorter As, slash i could argue non-existent. that you need those scenes uh, yeah but like character setup can be done a lot quicker i think right. it's and it's been done quicker in a lot of other films like you you know they right it's yeah. So but let's let's talk some good on this film because I realise we've just. <laughs> well, I mean, been... I started off with some good. Like, no, no, I, we, yeah, we, yeah. We, I agree. I'm just 
<laughs> I realise it doesn't sound like we're promoting it. Is, it is. Overall, I would like this film, and I would recommend right. it, because it it's is... It's just messy. <laughs> it's a good revisionist war film. The performances are very, very good. Right. Um... Yeah, it's got a lot of very powerful scenes in it. Um, what did you think of um, the uh, the the dis- the decision to have Delroy Lindo's character Paul be a Trump supporter? Um, I wasn't entirely sure on what that was for. If I'm right. being honest, I I don't know. Do you do you know what it was for? Because I'm I mean, a bit lost. Not to the fullest extent, but I okay. think it was to show... Because I know Delroy Lindo was very uncomfortable with that and didn't want that to happen, but then right. Spike Lee... Uh, Spike Lee didn't immediately like shoot him down. They like talked about it for a while, but mm. I think it was to show like how a character with that much PTSD could you know, easily be... And like just the, the amount of trauma and damage his, his life has had yeah. can sway him to vote for someone like that i think and to and his character's so full of hate his character's so full, full of hate and i think the like sort shakespearean of... level yeah. <laughs> yeah and i but i think that would have worked without him being a, a trump supporter i didn't understand what that was for but i think it, the whole thing of him being a loose cannon and quite violent is right. is portrayed very I, well you, throughout the film but you, I, you that... could take it as a comment on trump and the Trump like like I guess. policies maybe you know they're violent, <laughs> um, they're violent policies. I think um, hearing modern politics in a film is weird anyway, but what, in the, because there hasn't been enough time to pass, or I guess because like we'll see. You you didn't get your Bush films straight away. I don't think no. They had so, although when did W come out? Oh well, I'm not sure. Because uh, we no, I'm. I'm Bring, like I want to entertain this more because we yeah. were talking about it the other day in the house of the idea of like the, the seeing a Trump film and like how yeah. a lot of comments on Trump in films at the moment or media just doesn't work because it's t- too new and fresh. Mm. Whereas like you know when we'll talk about it later on the twenty fifth hour like they didn't not nine eleven wasn't talked about straight away. Mm. It was I guess for twenty fifth I don't know how long twenty fifth hour came out after it but like. I was like a year or two, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, usually, films give it time to breathe. Like, mm. you could, a best example being Vice, I guess. But, yeah. I don't know, it, it fit for the most part in The Five Bloods. You know, like, no one's playing Trump in this. It's just talking about a Trump supporter and, more importantly, a black Trump supporter and what that experience is. Yeah, it but just, it's, it's kind of glossed over a bit, it isn't it? It's it's kind of glossed over in the film a little bit because at the beginning yeah. he's like, "Yeah, I'm a Trump supporter," and then they kind of. But he then... wears the MAGA hat throughout. The he film. does, yeah. And it, I, it was very weird how that was used later on. Like, a lot of character, the, the hat gets passed around a lot, and 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 onto hateful characters, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's a comment on that. But yeah, um, I completely forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> Um, I've I've forgotten. Oh no, I just <laughs> lost my train of thought. Uh, this film, it's a good thing I have random notes. Um, just looking through my notes as well. References Apocalypse Now. Uh, yes, it does through the music, yeah. but they also filmed at a club called the Apocalypse Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then also, uh, suppose well, this is supposedly Spike Lee's one of his favorite films, but it references Treasure of the Sierra Madre, uh, which is a Humphrey Bogart film, and yep. they have a character quote. I think it's John Huston, isn't it? Directed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they also uh, they also reference Bridge on the River Kwai. When do they reference that? It's so they have it. They have uh, 
oh, what's his name? Clark something, quote him. Ah, oh, I don't know the quote. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, it's it's when I the character know this. is I've... lying on the ground and right. the camera is panicking. I don't know if that's too vague for you. but I, I saw this film more recently. I, mean, I should remember. A, good thing I've got the IMDb. <laughs> I saw this literally two nights little, ago. Why do I not remember next, this? A little while next to it. A little, a little next to it. Oh, I dear. I speak today. Um, oh, where is it? Oh. Clark uh, Clark Peters is the actor that quotes quotes the bridge on the river quiet sentence. Um, sorry guys, I need to figure this out. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll be right back. Uh, oh no. Google just is not working right now. Anyway, Clark Clark Peters quotes him. I can't find the quote right okay, now. Okay, but yeah. Um, but I do have some fun trivia for, for supplied by IMDb about the Five Bloods. So we were talking about Oliver Stone earlier, right? With yes. with Platoon. This film was originally written for Oliver Stone to direct a while mm. ago, and it was called The Last Tour. And it was written about white soldiers uh, in Vietnam. And then later on, I think Spike Lee came on and decided to talk about that experience instead but also uh, this film originally was going to have Giancarlo Esposito Samuel L. Jackson Denzel Washington and John David Washington as the as the bloods budgets man <laughs> <laughs> I think it, Giancarlo said it was to do with schedules and whatnot but like yeah. as interesting as it would be to imagine Denzel and, and John David Washington's like rapport on screen as father and son and I, I'm assuming the Delroy Lindo character yeah Delroy Lindo's so good in this film it's, it's interesting there's a lot like, of really great performances in this but a lot of the key players aren't really huge name actors no, no, they're, are they like, they're, they're a lot older actors which fits yeah 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 know, the characters instead of I guess like aging up Samuel Jackson yeah 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 well I mean you don't have to he's like 70 now you don't have to age yeah, him oh, yeah, up that far when, yeah. when the film was originally right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but, but um, it's yeah, like Isaiah Jonathan Majors Woodlock as well Jr. he's very good yeah. and he's not a huge actor right now is he he's been in like no. one yeah. indie film that came out last year and... yeah and he, oh, he he's got a HBO show coming out called Lovecraft Country okay or Lovecraft County I don't know but <laughs> yeah he's very good and, he is uh, very good. I, I like him a lot. see what he does next. Yeah. Um, also, uh, whenever they used uh, some 16mm footage, uh, they they spliced in some footage from a film called More American Graffiti, which featured a young Delroy Lindo as an army soldier to, like, make that fit. Nice. Oh, no, I've literally... I'm an idiot. The quote was in front of me all this time, but it was in <laughs> such a big paragraph that I just didn't see it. The line, Madness, Madness, spoken by Otis, is a quote from the film The Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, what um, it's the film Spike Lee likes, I guess. It, it literally, in this in this uh, thing on IMDb, it says it's that it is hard to tell if this was a homage to the film by Spike Lee or one of the writers, or if it was intended to convey that Otis is a fan of the film, mm. <laughs> reflecting on the fertility of war. Either case, it is clear that the line is alluding to the famous scene. Yes. Uh, where, I'm not going to say the rest of it because it's a spoiler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to do with the bridge <laughs> but yeah it's it's it, I, yeah it's interesting to see that this film wasn't written the way like how do I word this that it was written as this thing way way back and mm. not about 
black soldiers. In, yeah, no, I, I had no idea about that. Because there are that's a lot really of writers on this film from, I'm assuming, the original draft to when other people yeah. have done passes on And I think I one of the writers, writers on from... Black Klansman, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jinx. We, we are so in sync. <laughs> and which, which writer is it? Is it uh, I, Dave Rabinowitz? Uh, or... Again, I bad prepping <laughs> on my end. Uh, Spike Lee. <laughs> Spike Lee, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. Uh, is it David Bilson? Da- Danny Bilson, I mean? I don't recognise that uh, name. Anyway, this isn't important, but... No. <laughs> Let's... Uh, no, it's not Danny Bilson, because Danny Bilson wrote Rocketeer and The Flash TV series. Oh, wow, okay. This is probably one of the older writers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, I know we said this film was messy, but, like, do give it a watch. It is a little long in the tooth, but, you know, like, again, worth it for Del Rivino's performance, in my opinion. Yeah. I... Um, Absolutely. It's, again, more of a revisionist film, and it's it's interesting to see that depicted yeah. on the screen and to you know support it. Um, I'm gonna take a quick swig. Sorry. <laughs> Professionalism. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think. Wait, any any yeah. last thoughts on on the Five Bloods? I think yeah. Like, my, considering my... that, wait, you saw it quite recently. Compared... I saw it a couple That's of months thing, ago. Guys, I I the other two of these films I haven't seen for like I'd seen a while back. <laughs> the so... pressure's on me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing poorly. Um, but no, I think, yeah, final thoughts on this film are somewhat similar to yours. Like, I think it is, you're right, it is a bit messy tonally and narratively. It could have been a bit more streamlined and some characters could have been removed or had less screen time. Right. But I do appreciate it for not being a sort of just one, another Vietnam War film. It's, mm-hmm. like you said, it's more revisionist and it puts black protagonists in the forefront, which obviously we need to see more of in war films and in just right. in films in general. But Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the performances all around are great, I think. Yeah, Del Rolindo, obviously, is a standout. Um, I remember, didn't you say a while ago that you wanted someone in this to be Oscar-nominated? Was it yeah, him. Del Rolindo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's definitely worth the nomination I for just, this. I, yeah. Not, like, obviously, there's not a lot of films in... in, in in uh, contest for, for I'm not sure if he'll get nominated that's the thing he will like, you think he will so, some of, they've announced some of the films that have been submitted for campaigning and The Five yeah. Bloods is one of them okay um, along with Trolls World Tour and The King of Staten Island <laughs> not a lot of but films out at the moment so Daryl Linda he'll be up for lead won't yeah. he well, yeah well I, I assume so I mean he's I hope so well yeah he kind of has to be because he's and the then one... I guess best screenplay oh that's what we should have quickly talked about, is the score. Yes. Um, Terence Blanchard. Um, you, you had more of an opinion on this than I, I did. I thought I it was a really obnoxious score. Yeah. <laughs> Do see this film, guys, I swear. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really it's like... A, it's both... Things could be two things. It's, it's a good film and it's just a bad film as well. <laughs> but I, whilst Terence Blanchard's scores in other films are a lot better, I feel like this one was a bit more obnoxious and a bit like yeah just overbearing i'm gonna talk about him a bit more in the upcoming film that we're gonna talk about yes. but and, um you know we'll yeah. do that as a segue what is that upcoming film matt uh that well we finished on that okay yeah. uh our upcoming <laughs> film is 25th hour boom and it will take us 25 hours to finish this podcast. <laughs> um yes um what what is the synopsis for 25th hour uh 25th hour so ed norton plays a drug dealer Ed Norton. Edward Norton. You, you know him. I do. That's Eddie. Uh, Ed. Uh, Edward Norton. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You got it, you got it. Edward Norton plays a drug dealer. 
And What's he his is... name? What is his name? Jesus Christ. I don't Monty. remember char- cause I don't remember characters' names I, in films. I, I remember it because it's such a funny name. It's Monty. Monty. I don't... Short for Montgomery. I don't uh, do names. Monty Brogan, that was it. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, he plays a drug dealer and he is uh, busted by the DEA. One day mm-hmm. they come into his apartment and find that he's been stashing a bunch of drugs. Mm-hmm. So they say that he's going to go to prison for, I think, seven years. And yeah. he has 24 hours left to live a f- as a free man before he goes to prison. And or, he's or dis- 25. <laughs> and he decides... R- Ruben, Ruben said he hated... The, he hate, he, I'm, I don't know if he's seen it or not, but he, he said he hated this film because there's no such thing as 25 hours. That sounds like a very Ruben comment. But anyway, uh, anyway uh, he decides... The, basically, the film is he's trying to figure out how to spend his last 24 hours as a free man, and he decides to spend it with his wife, played by Rosaria Dawson, yep. uh, his friends, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, and an actor whose name escapes me right now. Barry Pepper. Barry Pepper, and also his dad, played by uh, the great Brian. Brian Cox. The great Brian Cox. And yeah, um, do you want to start off with this? Because I have quite a few notes for this one. I don't know if yeah, you want to so start off. This film is uh, written by David Benioff, who's yep. one of the creators of Game of Thrones. He wrote the book for this uh, originally, and um, it was produced or optioned by Tobey Maguire because he wanted to play Monty Brogan. And then Spider-Man happened, and he couldn't play the role. And then He made the uh, right choice. And then, yeah, and then at some point, uh, Spike Lee came on to do the film because him and Edward Norton have always wanted to work together. And then I think the film came came to Edward Norton, and that's that's how they got together. And um, yeah, like speaking of the the notes earlier, I my first note is just all right. <laughs> um, like if I so, could, yeah. yeah. Do you want me to elaborate, or do you, Edward you... Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Barry Fowler, why am I saying the cast? Anna Paquin. Um, Anna Paquin, the... I forgot to mention her. Yeah, yeah. she's in it as well. Um, Anna Paquin plays Philip Seymour Hoffman's student. Philip Seymour Hoffman's a teacher. Barry yep. Pepper is uh, someone who works on Wall Street. Yeah. And this is all set during, well, post 9 11. Yeah. And which wasn't in the original book. Uh, yes. Spike Lee wanted to make it more about. Uh, a life post nine eleven because this was again not that long after it. Yep. And, you know, it's just a testament to how even his more genre films, even films that are outside of different themes, are always going to be inherently political. Mm. Uh, and you know, for the good, in my opinion. But yeah, sorry. Um. Oh, my mum's facetiming me. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> this is the second time that's happened. I'm gonna. Sorry. I'm gonna. You say what you were gonna say. Well, no, I don't want to speak while you're FaceTiming. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm messaging her being like... Mm, okay. Um, yeah, do you want me to speak a bit about... Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say uh, originally? No, I just... So, just to first thoughts on this film. It was interesting because I found out that a lot of people really like this film. It's got really, mm. really good reviews. But I watched it and I just wasn't really moved by it. Like, it's right. it's a cool story. I really like mm-hmm. the premise of it and it could have been done really really well but the film is just very very slow and a lot of the plot feels a bit like wasted space I we think. do like spike lee by the way it's just you know <laughs> like i think the, some of these films are messy you know, blanket comment do, about uh, spike lee yeah he's a yeah. messy screenwriter he's a great great director he didn't write this uh what this film no i mean it's his whitest film uh by far like in it's, terms it's of written cast. By David Benioff, yeah. it's written by the writer of troy X-Men Origins and uh, Gemini Man. 
and also the 15 time Emmy nominated writer of Game of Thrones. But anyway, yeah. off topic. Um, no, I just, a lot of the film is very, very slow. A lot of the plot feels like it's unnecessary. Like in the first, I, I kept checking the time when watching this film, which is a bad sign when you're watching something because I just kept checking how far in I was. And like I noticed in the first hour, there was, I think, one major plot point that happened, which is that he's busted by the DEA. And then a lot of it is just kind of meandering a bit because you keep cutting back to his friends who are like talking to each other because they're asked to meet up because they're going to spend one last day with Edward Norton's character. And a lot of it just feels like it's a bit... Uh, yeah. It's a bit Pulp Fiction-y in that a lot those, of it Those is... subplots just didn't... Like, yeah, it's like... they didn't develop. They just didn't amount to anything. There's they a scene, like, they yeah. just kind of get wrapped up and it's like, oh, cool. What it's like the there's a scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and... Oh, what's his name? Uh, pa- oh, Barry Pepper. Barry Pepper. You, They're having you'll like... know him from Crawl. He's the dad in Crawl. Okay, I haven't seen Crawl. I'm sorry. Yeah, did, you, did you not watch Crawl with us? I didn't watch Crawl with you. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, What? Anyway, oh, anyway, but there's there's a scene not. in that where Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman are basically just having like a, a dick measuring contest and talking about like who's who's better with women, and it just That's doesn't the thing. The feel like in this it... film are not likable. No, I, this is another thing I said it's to you. It's a very you, dude bro film. It is a bit, and I can, maybe that's characters. why it got great reviews. But <laughs> I think I said to you a while ago, um, not a while ago, yesterday, that um, Edward, <laughs> fucking hell, <laughs> I'm tired. Edward, doing great, guys. Edward Norton's character in this film, I think, has charming actor syndrome. Which, Please elaborate on this. Uh, I, like I don't know if it's a real term, but I, th- I like the term that I've maybe coined, maybe haven't coined. But it's basically Edward Norton's character in this film isn't really that interesting and is kind of a prick for the whole film. But because he's played by Edward Norton, who's a very charismatic and talented actor, you feel kind of warm to him. And also he's handsome. And I think I said this to you before, and another example of this in films is Bradley Cooper in Silver Linings Playbook, in that Bradley Cooper is incredibly charming, incredibly handsome, and in that film he's just a dickhead who's just unlikable. But, you know, we love him because there's close-ups of his pretty blue eyes, and, yeah, I think it's I, it's I present in other with, films with, as well. With Edward Norton, but more in the sense of, like... Edward Norton doesn't look like a hard man in this. Like, <laughs> he, he does in the But that's kind of the point, I think. Like, cause, yeah, because yeah. they yeah. talk about how he's this yeah, yeah, skinny yeah. guy that won't survive in jail. But yeah, and they I play into like, that a bit at the end. Yeah. yeah. But I, I will, again, do this blanket statement because <laughs> it's needed because we've just spent a lot of this time criticising two of his films. <laughs> Spike, like, Spike Lee is a great director. He is. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I think if you're doing that many films for like pretty much a film a year or a film every two years mm. some are going to be messy or there's going to be some duds or bits you can criticise yeah. and this film hasn't been criticised though this like he's really great film critic Roger Ebert added this film <laughs> to the, his greatest movies My list favorite. in 2009 and then later on it was named yeah oh, and later on it was named the 26th greatest film since 2000 in a BBC poll of oh, 177 critics so <laughs> They all think you're wrong, Matt. <laughs> uh, I guess I am wrong. But anyway, um, he's, he's really great at dialogue, Spike Lee, I think. A lot of... He did write this. I <laughs> must preface that again. <laughs> he's this is the second time he's He's a good writer. That. I think there's... Um, there's Spike Lee-isms in the, in the there's, script. There's yeah, a lot of... Yeah. He, it, there's, like, yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> his main, like, Edward Norton's fuck you monologue 
was from the book. The only bit that's like edited is uh, when it comments on nine eleven in that monologue. Yeah. It's a cool monologue, but again, it kind of reinforces... What do you think of it? <laughs> it it's again, it's like you said, is the sort of dude bro racist? thing. I don't know. I think it's it's again the thing of like, I it didn't make me warm to his character because it just confirms that he's a prick and I I just didn't know whether unlike... or not it was like it's a very eloquent his character's and... racist and then because then so basically there's a monologue where he goes to a bathroom mirror. And he sees himself, and then his mirror starts talking to him and says, because the word fuck you is written on the mirror, he does this big monologue similar to Do the Right Thing, where they just it's full of prejudice against everyone. Mm. And it's a giant monologue. And then at the end, he's a, like, the real Edward Norton says, now nah, fuck you to the reflection, as if to say, like, no, you shouldn't, you know, say I... this to all these people, you're the real fuck up here. I... But then at the same yeah. time, his mind is thinking all these racist things, and his character talks about Puerto Ricans quite a bit in the beginning and then towards the end shows, like, there's this weird scene in the car when he looks back at every, I don't know. I, is his character racist? I don't know. And what's his I think his I, I think his character, the whole point of it was just to show that his character is very down on his luck and is kind right. of just hating everyone and feels like he has to punch upwards to society, mm. right. which is always punching down on him. And, you know, this has been done in other films. He's the Joker. His, it is kind of like a, a Joker thing, or like Fight Club, or like those other right. films where it's like, oh man, society, society let me down, but I also let myself down. And I just, right. I get the appeal of it, and I didn't, like, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Like, it's a very eloquently written monologue, and it's very cathartic, but I just, again, it's the, Hans, uh, the charming actor syndrome of just like, you know, he looks great while doing the monologue, but it just makes his character look like a prick and not in an interesting way. Right. I think. Like, I don't know. The Five Bloods has, like, characters that are unlikable, but you you still root for them because you know that they're troubled characters. Yeah. Whereas this, it's like... Here's something I've noticed, right? <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman has played a lot of pervy characters. <laughs> That's not a detriment to. I'm not. Yeah, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Much. I've just noticed that you know happiness, or at least accused of weird stuff. So happiness, doubt. Uh, this film, uh, you could argue, Synecdoche, New York. Like, mm. <laughs> I don't know what it is in casting directors. That I think he just has that look, you know. <laughs> of what? Just <laughs> deviant. Yeah, I guess so. And he's just, you know, he's a great actor. He's a he is a great actor. And uh, there's, he, he's, he, he, sorry, real quick. Yeah, yeah. He, so, obviously in this film, he's Anna Paquin's teacher, but before this, he actually directed her in a play. So hmm. she, oh, there's a video of her talking about how that was like a interesting experience because during takes, he'd often go to her and be like, how was, how was my scene? How was, how was I? And it's like, <laughs> not only has he directed her, but like, you know, she was like, ask Spike Lee, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's good. I, I think his character in the film is kind of, it's a weird subplot that doesn't quite it doesn't tie into the rest of the film. It doesn't really amount to anything. Also just a questionable subplot. I get that they're it's, not meant to be perfect yeah. characters, but... I think the, ho- the whole film has a lot of really interesting, well-made scenes that don't right. really tie in together very well. It's like the ending of the film I thought was a little bit forced maybe but it's really cool because it's this ending uh, monologue that's delivered by brian cox and again it's a very try not to spoil it too much but <laughs> i won't say what the ending is but it's 
it involves it involves a monologue by Brian Cox and it's a very well written monologue and Brian Cox delivers it with a lot of gravitas. Right. But I don't know. I just wasn't a fan of the sort of the ending. I I like the monologue, but I also didn't because it it's very obvious that what he's saying isn't going to happen. Yeah. Like, it's very much a shoulda coulda type Mm. monologue. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Here's a fun thing to do when you're watching this film: count how many times the name Naturel is dropped. (laughs) Yeah, Naturel is the name of Edward Norton's wife, played by Rosario Rosario Dawson. Dawson. It seemed like they just wanted to say that the character was named Naturel, and they really liked that name. It's the writer he just said so many patting times, himself on like, the back. Like, no other characters is called, like, his name dropped that much. Or, like, there's even points where it's like, oh, no, it's Natural Rivera. Yeah. And it's like, okay. In terms what? of the use of the dolly shots in this film, the Spike Lee dolly shots, yeah. I think... I really um, like them in these. <laughs> I think... So they, they, they use it twice, from what I remember. Once for Anna Paquin, once for Philip Seymour Hoffman, from what I remember. Uh, yeah. Well, is there another times. time? What's uh, the other time? When they're going into the club as well. Oh, yeah. But I think... It's, it's, so the scenes with where they do it with Anna Paquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think those shots worked for the scenes, yeah. but the scenes didn't work for the film. Okay. Because they're yeah. part of that subplot that don't really that doesn't really right. contribute, you know. It's, it's such it's such a good shot though. Isn't it? it is a great shot, and it again it works well in isolation, um, right. but not as a whole. The music, yeah, I wanted to talk about the music because I really liked uh, Terence Blanchard's score in this. Right. It was one of my favorite parts of the film. And how would you? How come? They I don't know. I just, I just his others. Uh, he did. He did Black Klansman, and he did. I really like Black Klansman as well. I thought it was a great score for Black Klansman. Oh. It's stuck with with me quite a lot. I was thinking about it earlier today, actually, while I was in the shower. Yeah. I was humming it to myself. <laughs> nice. It's a great score, but I I really like um his type of music. It's very sort of imposing and menacing. It's kind of like right. it reminds me of uh, Carter Burwell. In a way, okay, kind yeah. of. Do, do you see it? It's kind yeah, of yeah. the same sort Dr. of instrumentation. Did an animated film recently, and I was, oh wait, yeah, no, I say recently. I was, I remember being really like taken aback and surprised that Carter Burwell, I think, if I'm correct, did the score for a Goofy movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you did Anomalisa as well. I know oh. that. Yeah. Well, that's a different type of animated film, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, tangent. Tangent. Um, yeah, I really like the score in this film. I currently describe why it's just really good music that fits with the film very well an epic type score yeah it works really well especially in the last scene i think it's it's very well done um something i didn't like about this film on the technical level was some of the editing choices Uh, Uh, um i wanted to also go into this on do the right thing but all three of these films do this technique yeah um, is the idea of like repeating slash reloading a character hugging someone yeah yeah i noticed and i that. get the intention by i guess it's just it just can like amp up the intimacy between them yeah i like, w- i wasn't a huge fan of it when i saw it in 25th hour then i saw it in defy bloods and i was like okay i guess this is like a trademark it does it do the right do. thing as well i don't remember it and do the right thing i have to it's it's go it back to scenes it. with Ro- rosie perez okay but, yeah. but i remember I, in the other I, two i films, know it's and... some sort of french new wave homage but like yeah. It doesn't always work. But I, I think, like... But I get the intention behind I, it. I get it as, like, a trademark, like, the dolly shot thing. It's it's a cool little thing. But I think, in, in a more in a general sense, I wasn't a fan of the editing in 25th Hour. Okay. I thought it was very sort of sporadic, and just there were cuts in places that didn't need it, and it was a bit distracting, I thought. I don't know. It was a bit That's too fair. quick and gimmicky for my taste. What did you think? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I mainly noticed it in the hug 
feel nice yeah. in the hugs yeah. with, with all three of these films. Um, one thing I really like about this film is the club scenes. The club um, scenes are cool. Especially any scenes under blue UV light. Yeah. I, I love seeing it in films like, like Belly and Good Time. Like, they, yeah. they're used so well. And, like, the... I I really I just really like the club scenes in this film because it was just a very intense location to be in, yeah. considering like the underbelly behind it and the idea that uh, whether I don't know if it's a homage to Goodfellas or not, but like the idea of walking in yeah. and they own the place and this like long tracking shot of them. I guess so. It's kind club. of a nod, I suppose. But isn't like it? yeah, yeah, um, and just the editing in that in the club scenes with the music in particular, mm. um, I I really liked. But, um, it's well shot. Yeah. It's a well shot film, and oh, it's it's, it's well oh, directed. I think it's the same DP as the Irishman. Yes, uh, yes, uh, Rodrigo Pietro. 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 Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm so sorry if butchered I that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Did, no, I remember but, seeing that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Uh, um, as another thing, I wasn't a big fan of in this film was the. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm just ripping into it. Was uh, Edward Norton's Russian friend character oh, right. yeah because he's just a blatant stereotype of himself and i don't know if it's meant to be satire or not it doesn't I quite come across so. as satire no. it comes across as ha russians are like this i guess <laughs> and it's just because he's meant to be like this sort of cringy womanizing character who wears like baggy shirts and, right. and is like not really aware of himself and and then it also kind pro- of... proves edward norton's racism in the character because he's constantly trying to fit, uh, like correct his broken English. Yeah, yeah. With the, it's like, oh, you're just a dick. Funny you should say that scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I wasn't a fan. Bull pit. Instead, like, no, <laughs> that's, the broken English doesn't make sense in this film. Like, no, no, car- like, anyway. I, I get what you mean when you said earlier that this is kind of a dude bro film. It's just, it's, it is. you know, that's, lads that's on a the good, town. It's a good way like, of describing it because it's kind of... dick measuring and, and the... Yeah. the because it's it's trying to be like in this film the and, way it's you know. written is a bit pulp fictiony sometimes with like the conversations yeah. that are about nothing it's like right. you know it's like hey you're in the 60th percentile i'm in the 99th and that conversation right. goes on for like what feels like 80 minutes and it's like it doesn't amount to anything i don't know i've just right. i wasn't a yeah. big fan that's fair enough <laughs> well do watch it folks and see what you think but <laughs> it's it, not said a positive thing it's Do watch it. Genre, it's more of a genre film in his filmography, and then, you know, with some political bits of, about nine eleven. Do you want to quickly speak on that before we wrap up, or oh the nine eleven like, aspect? It, it, yeah, like especially there's a whole conversation between Barry Pepper and and Philip Seymour Hoffman where the camera is just aimed at Ground Zero behind them. Mm. I don't know. What did you What did you think of the film's comments on New York post nine eleven? Um, it's it, mainly in his speech, I guess, wasn't it? When he's talking in the mirror, sort of the, sort of, because uh, like the post nine eleven world is sort of focused on security and national right. safety, isn't it? And being yeah. hostile to outsiders. So that, that kind of came across in his big rant in the mirror. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't pick up on it a lot in the film, but, uh, that's fair enough. Yeah. I, what did you think of it? I've, I've lost my train of thought in all, in all honesty. <laughs> um, I mean, can't fully speak to it, I guess, because I'm not American. But mm. I don't. It's 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 just interesting to see see that theme brought up, and I think it was a big deal for a lot of people when it came out. Oh yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that's pretty much my whole thoughts on this film. <laughs> um, do go see it in terms of like a genre piece, and Ed, if you like Edward Norton, if you like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, a lot of um, individual scenes are well crafted. The performances yeah, are very just, good. We have uh, issues with the characters and just the slowness and the messiness of the writing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, we we do love Spike Lee as the director. You don't need to keep saying that. We they know. <laughs> I know, but which was been lambasting him as his episode. I know, I know. <laughs> um, also, I always I always have the paranoia of potentially meeting people we talk about. Yes. And that I'm not being constructive. Yeah, no. I do um, have a massive respect and appreciation for yeah. Spike Lee. He's such a good director as a person, will... as a director. We'll especially talk about why he's a good director in this next film, Do Ooh. the Right Thing. Segway. Which is a, this is the first thing on my notes, masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. It's his, <laughs> I've seen, I think, seven of his films now. It's it's definitely the best of the bunch. It's Wait, what, so which ones have you seen? Oh, God. Uh, okay. Inside Man, Black mm-hmm. Klansman. Yep. She's Gotta Have It. Uh, Do the Right Five Thing. Bloods. The Five yep. Bloods, 25th Hour. How many is that? Six. Inside Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I did I say Inside, inside Man? Man at the beginning? I didn't say it. Did I? Yeah. Fuck. All right. <laughs> She's got to have it. Do the yeah. right thing. 25th Hour, Defy of Bloods. Uh... Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. We're, we're, What's wrong with me? <laughs> it's really hot today, folks, and we're, we're, we're getting knackered. <laughs> you know what else is hot? This film and yeah. the weather in this film. The weather so in this film. You got, have you got a synopsis for this one or should I... Re- re- uh, you, I did the last two. You can have a crack okay. at this one. So, from, so from what I remember, Do the Right... Because I watched this a while ago. Do the Right Thing is about uh, one of the hottest days in New York. And it's about uh, a character named Mookie, played by Spike Lee, who, who works at uh, Sal's Pizzeria, which is the local Italian pizzeria in... Uh, uh, I believe it is... Brooklyn, which it's is Brooklyn, yeah, 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 predominantly black neighborhood, but um, and it's about it's literally a slice of life film. It's about a day mm. in the life of all these characters within Brooklyn, and you know, doing the right thing, but especially in terms of uh, race relations and relationships with the uh, race relations and also the police and prejudice from the police and and uh, injustice from the police. Um, yeah, it is just a slice of life in, in these characters' days. Uh, it, in, well, there's one day in particular. And I I do think I'm just going to gush over this film and not necessarily <laughs> talk about it co- co- coherently. But it, it might, from what I've seen of Spike Lee, I think it's his best film. I, I agree, absolutely. I think it is his best. Because I think, again, this was more confirmation to me that Spike Lee is a messy screenwriter, but I think the messiness worked in this film. Very, very well. I didn't think this one was that messy. I think Apart it's... from some of the, the French new way they're seeing at the latter half. I think it's messy in the sense that a lot of it is, like, setting up characters and all these different threads that, but it's you know, are all happening. It's... Huh? It's so I'm not criticising it. I'm so, sorry, I shouldn't... When I say messy, I'm not using it as a negative okay. adjective here. I'm using it more just descriptive and neutral in this right. sense. Because it is, like... Like you said, it's slice of life. It's not meant yeah. to have, like, a very linear... Right. plot it's it's you know it's showing all these different characters and how they interact and mm. i think it works really well because throughout the film there is that consistent message that is built up very subtly 
but it grows and grows and grows and grows because the whole the main point of tension in this film is that the pizzeria did you say this already the pizzeria it has a wall of fame that has entirely white actors on it so it has like al pacino italian, frank sinatra yeah, yeah, yeah. italian american actors and then someone comes into the pizzeria bugging out played bugging by out. giancarlo esposito yep um, and yeah. he is annoyed that there are no black celebrities on this wall of fame considering how many black customers yeah so and like uh are at sal's yeah and sal yeah. the owner played by danny aiello rest uh, in peace rest in, yeah he died very sadly last year yeah. in december very sad um yeah, he's the white owner of this pizzeria, and he refuses to put black actors on this wall of fame. And then, and then also his sons, played by John Turturro, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but he's in Ferris Bueller. Um, <laughs> one of them, mainly John Turturro, both him and Sal are, are like have the most hate in that family, and John, yeah. John Turturro is kind of like the product of hate in this film. And then slowly Sal later on is yeah. like, yeah. What I what I really liked about this film is that for a lot of it there isn't really like a clear hero and villain like it's it right. doesn't fall into the trap of having like oh here's the really racist white guy right. but he's a cartoon character you're yeah. not as racist as him and a lot of films nowadays do that but this one was a lot more subtle in showing its it, racism because Danny Aiello's character is kind of a lot about him is commendable because he's trying to run a business, he's just trying to do his job, but he is complicit in systemic yeah. white racism. And his son is racist. And his and son is racist. And there's a great scene where Totoro's character is verbally assaulting this black character and there's uh, uh, Danny Aiello's character is just sitting, watching yeah, it happen yeah. and kind of looking away. Yeah, It's really great framed because like, he's on one side of the window and the others are not. It's one of my favourite scenes in the film. I found out that scene... Half of that scene, and especially when you're talking to that bit of framing, yeah, is, yeah. is improvised. Yeah, that's it's, 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 that's great stuff. Very good. It's but, one um, of yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. But it's 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 quite it's interesting because this film was released in 1989, I think. Yeah. But it's quite a modern approach to telling this story. Oh yeah, this would this film would have been incredibly shocking to see at that time. Yeah, yeah. In cinemas, especially with the opening scene, which I wanted to quickly talk about. Which is with Rosie Perez, the the dance scene with yeah, firepower yeah, yeah. power on in the beginning. Mm. It's like this one isn't necessarily like an art house film, but like it's not. It doesn't follow mainstream narrative yeah, yeah. structure or anything like that. Well, I just mean not just stylistically, but like narratively in the sense that um, you know, like I said, it's not trying to force a message on you immediately. It sort of builds up to it very slowly, yeah. very organically, yeah. and then it explodes at the end. Yeah, very definitely oh, we'll talk about the ending in a minute but like it's as much as we can <laughs> yeah, as much as we can yeah but um it's like i know this film came out in the year that uh driving miss daisy came out which is kind of the green book of 1989 from what yep. i've heard and so, it's yeah. interesting just seeing the contrast <laughs> i think of the values at that time and how there was how yeah one's a white savior film that yeah. you know doesn't is not like <laughs> it's just cookie cutter in and terms you know, of characters yeah. and racism and then you got do the right thing which is you know and it's just great to show that there were filmmakers pushing for this more sophisticated type of storytelling and delivery yeah. of moral messages back then you know it's right. it's quite yeah. eye-opening i think yeah i like i find it funny when spike lee at the oscars says whenever someone's driving i'm losing an oscar <laughs> yeah 
Because he had that with Green Book. Yeah. Black versus Black Clansman. Driving Miss Daisy, yeah. Uh, it's just silly. And this, the, other, yeah. the other two films are not going to last the test of time. Whether it's <laughs> like Black Clansman and Do the Right Thing in terms of just their cultural relevancy and yeah. just quality. It's, you know, it's just leaps and bounds. And this film <laughs> was nominated for two Oscars, I believe. Yep. Best Original mm-hmm. Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Danny Aiello. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> it didn't win either one. It, oh, it, is, is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Jesus. And I remember... At least Best Picture and Best Director. I know, I know. But again, it didn't Oscars. Get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I was watching, again, Siskel and Eber, and they were annoyed about the so few nominations that it got because it, they said it was the best film of the year. And oh, they said yeah, that... They, they loved this film. They said that um, Aiello's performance should have been nominated for leading rather than supporting. And I can kind of see... In a way, it's not a lead. He's not the protagonist. I mean, no. again, this film has like you know multiple characters, and it doesn't it doesn't just follow one. But I'd say yeah. Mookie, played by Spike Lee, is the main yeah, protagonist. I, I would say that, but it's you know yeah. it's who the title is in relation to. Yeah. Um, I like. <laughs> I, f- I find Spike Lee very interesting as an actor because he's <laughs> never acted in any other films outside of his. At least I not that. No, not I, a don't, lot. I don't. I don't think he lot, has. No, but. Yeah. And he doesn't consider himself an actor, and and like the first time I watched this, I thought I couldn't take him too seriously. But the second time, I thought this is a great performance, and you know he's written a really good character for himself. Whereas like yeah. something like she's got to have it is just a bit more comical because it's like but it hey, it's Spike Lee. <laughs> but I think what's funny is that you watch this great great film, and yeah. then you look at Spike Lee, who looks like a fifteen-year-old boy. He's so film. young. He's this is so his young. Third but... film, and he's it's such a big film in terms of scale and the amount yeah. of characters and actors that he's directing it's i couldn't think of the amount of pressure he was going through yeah. during this film especially on that massive block but yeah because you watch this like on. masterfully crafted film and you just look at the little boy and it's like, and like he made like, this you're, you're like he's in it he's yeah like, and oh it's like it's, it's like if you watch citizen kane and orson yeah. wells was like a 12 year old boy he'd be like how did you do this <laughs> I, was he 19 at the time i believe Who'd spike lee yeah Wait, no. 19? No, he was older than that. He might have been 19 when he did She's Gotta Have It. No, he was older than that. Because when was he born? He was born in like the uh, late 40s, I think, or very early 50s. Uh, Oh, it's not saying. I think he was in his his 30s, I think, when he he did uh, Do the Right Thing. Okay. Either the, still quite young. (laughs) It's still quite young, but I'm just saying he looks a lot younger. Yeah. But anyway, going back to what I was saying earlier, there's no... Uh, heroes are villains in this because Sal the pizzeria guy isn't really a, a villain as such because he's just they like they delve into his whole character they don't just yeah. say this or that like because he is kind of just an average Joe who is complicit in racism but he's not like a cartoon bigot yeah right but then through his like complicity and whatnot turns yeah, yeah, yeah. to hate but and, it's not know. done in like a a preposterous it's, way it's right. done in a way that's reflective of real life in a way yeah. and then I think also Spike Lee's character Mookie isn't really a hero in the film until the right. very end because he's kind of apathetic towards it, until right. he does the right thing. Right. You know, he's... I, I find yeah. it very interesting. So there's always been a cultural debate as to whether or not he did the right thing, quote-unquote. And, mm. and Spike Lee has said, whenever that question gets asked, it's only by white people. <laughs> and it, it, The film, obviously, we can't talk about this ending too much, but it brings up a debate... Again, it's so relevant to now, but it, the, the debate of like property versus people, mm. and and 
property damage and, and protest. Uh, like, especially why the film is so relevant today is because the, the, the unjust murder in the film that happens is like akin to what's happening with George Floyd exactly, and with yeah. Eric Garner. Because I, I watched... where Spike Lee spliced footage of Radio Rahim, George Floyd and Eric Garner in a short film and was like, look, this is... You know, yeah, it's still happening. Because I, I do yeah. the right thing was based off of a real life murder. Yeah, um, I did watch this thinking like this came out thirty one years ago, but it feels more like thirty one days ago. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's maddening. It's incredible, <laughs> and the film doesn't. It's not sentimental in a way. It doesn't, you know, say like, oh, let's join hands and we right. can solve this together. Uh, it's a very sort of or- harsh message, right. isn't it? Apparently, the original producers wanted uh, Mookie and Sal to hug. <laughs> Which is more of a green book type. It is, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just... then it would have won Best Original Screenplay. Great. Um, <laughs> speaking of Mookie, uh, there is a film that Spike Lee directed later on called Red Hook Summer, which is set in the same universe as Do the Right Thing, and he play- he reprises the role of Mookie very briefly. Um, I've seen the clip of it, it's not great. <laughs> Apparently that film did- wasn't as good. But And then yeah. also... Uh, the, the She's Got to Have It TV series before it got cancelled uh, because it's it's a TV version of She's Got to Have It they have Anthony Ramos play Spike Lee's character Mars Blackman and in the in the series they were going to have Rosie Perez play re- replay Tina and have Tina be the mother of Mars Blackman mm-hmm. and then Mookie is, is going to be Mookie's the dad <laughs> so that the, the uh, Anthony Ramos is playing Spike Lee. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's yeah, but then that didn't come to fruition. But then also, no. in Inside Man, the pizza that they eat is from Sal's Pizzeria. Yes. Um, which I thought was. But they they don't really need to like do a spin off no. of Do the Right Thing because it's such no, no. a like but contained just, message think, film. So yeah. it doesn't need like I, you don't need lore. You don't no. need fucking but it's just, expanded it's just universe. interesting to see those those little Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah. And this film is like. In terms of pop culture, is is, is a massive staple. Exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of you know references and homages, Radio Rahim's explanation of the love and hate rings he wears is a homage to the speech that the preacher gives in The Night of the Hunter, played by Robert Mitchum, who has those same words tattooed on his hands, hmm. and it was Spike Lee's way of just paying homage to that film and nice. modernizing it. Um, yeah. Uh, also. Ruth Carter, who is the costume designer of this film, uh, did the costume design for, for Black, Black Panther, Panther yeah. which is referenced in Do the Right Thing. Like, uh, Bugging Out has Black Panther comics on him, and they talk about... It's just interesting to see that progression from, you know, being a costume designer on Do the Right Thing, which is talking about Black Panther, which isn't even a film yet, and it's just the comics, to, you know, then winning for yeah. Black Panther. Yeah. Um, also, Fight the Power... That film, like it's yeah. interesting hearing that fil- uh, song in this film, because obviously I've known it for ages and it's it's a massive like pop culture song, and it's been in the the, the cultural zeitgeist air quote, <laughs> but the 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 song was recorded for the film. Oh really? Which is again just showing how it makes sense. Like, just the staying power of both the song and the film. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and you mentioned so about the costume design because um, yeah. this film is incredibly well written and mm. just 
well made at delivering its message but it's also a very good looking film oh I yeah think. it's like, beautiful <laughs> the way it's shot the design of it all it's very colourful and vibrant the, yeah. and it really brings you into it like that they um during some of the scenes to show that it was really hot, they put like a generator underneath the camera or something to make it, you know. Oh, the the waviness, yeah, 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 the heat lines, yeah. Because um, I've heard people talk about the cinematography for this film, uh, yeah. quite a bit. Um, I believe it's Ernest Ernest Dickerson who yeah. also did. He's done a lot of Spike Lee's films. Also, do you know who did the music for this film? Bill Lee, Spike yeah. Lee's dad. Spike Lee's dad. I found that out yeah. today. <laughs> he he did a lot of, a lot of his earlier films. His earlier yeah. films, yeah. I didn't know um, that. I, which yeah. I find really nice and interesting because apparently his dad hates film. Oh. Uh-huh. He's like he he got his <laughs> his film interest from his mum and he apparently his mum would take him to the cinema as like her cinema date. A interesting. Lot. And that's how he like he said he got his love of sports from his dad and and his love of, his love of music from his dad and his love of film uh, of film from his mum. Nice. And he's just such a cool, interesting individual. I'd he love is. to have dinner with him i'd be intimidated by him <laughs> oh yeah but like <laughs> but also like i'd love to pick his brain there's yeah. a hollywood round table w- with him afonso caron mariel heller uh a bunch of people um but that he talks about how he had he had dinner with both billy wilder and then fellini at different times oh and he just God. casually <laughs> drops them like name drops them and it's like that's what incredible. A legend. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He is an incredible man. And he is. I As, hope he keeps but yeah, I, I mean, hope he still continues making films. Exactly. And, I th- he wouldn't be Spike Lee if he wasn't yeah. controversial. And again, even with the messiness and the cr- critique we have of his previous films, they're still films that you can appreciate and, you know, delve into. Mm. You know, things aren't one thing. They can be good and bad. And, like, I just love the fact that, like, both him and Scorsese and others, you could say, have just like consistently made films every year and never stopped given yeah. their age. Like, yeah. they're, they're coming up in terms of age now, and they're still, you know... <laughs> Spike Lee's got another film coming up, and he just did a concert film for David Byrne. He is, he is like, a workhorse, <laughs> isn't he? He's yeah. always working. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of times directors get cr- criticised in terms of their quality through being a workhorse. An example being Ridley... Scott. Ridley Scott, yeah. But then, you know... And I think Steven Soderbergh uh, is another yeah, one, isn't he? Like, always working. I think you're allowed to have a messy experimental filmography yeah. if, in terms of... How do I say this? How do I make sense of it? Like, Ridley Scott and Spike Lee and all these people are so... I respect them so much because of their 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 work ethic. Yeah. And the way they solve problems and... <laughs> You know, and um, if that yeah. means some films are kind of duds, you know, I don't mind. I'll still go see them. I once read an article about Soderbergh that described him as a genius without a masterpiece. Right. Because, like, he's always, you know, he hasn't made, like, one film that he's, that is necessarily his absolute best, but... Well, they don't necessarily have, like, stereotypical traits and tropes. But he's always trying new things. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's a pioneer in yeah. filmmaking. And, and yeah, Spike Lee does a lot of films about race and, and, and prejudice and whatnot but they're all very different films they are like, yeah they're very he's one of the most experimental we were talking about the, the dolly shot uh, mm. earlier and then you know just everything else <laughs> 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 yeah and also the cast in this film this is some a lot of people's first film or they're like their big like jumping point into mm. popularity like 
this isn't Samuel Jackson's first film, but it put him on the map. I uh, think it's Danny Aiello as well. It was kind of his yeah big film. Who I think found out Robert De Niro wasn't to play that role initially. Oh really? I you know you would have I done like, a good job. I like Danny Aiello in this, but then yeah. also it's Martin Lawrence's first film. It's Rosie Perez's first film. It it's just like this nice staple of pop culture. Yeah, and it's so fucking good. It's great. It's an amazing <laughs> film. Yeah, I've uh, seen Bramble, but you know, it's a masterpiece <laughs> that's relevant to today. To it today, is. and it I is. could you know talk about it for fucking ever and bring up all the trivia about it. But go watch it if you have Bob, find it on there or Amazon, rent it, YouTube movies, all that. It might be on Prime at some point. Yeah, we'll out of see. all the Spike Lee films to watch, this one, <laughs> this one, <laughs> yes, and and Black Klansman and every other one. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I. I don't know, it seems like I'm padding the time, but I generally like... And obviously Defy Bloods is free to watch still, because it's on yeah. Netflix, providing your own account, so... Give Whilst it watch. seems like I'm rambling, it's because I can only gush about this film, I can't really... No, yeah, that, that's it. fair enough. <laughs> I only had, like, a couple of notes for this film, anyway, just tried to flesh out on them. <laughs> right. I, I, this wasn't Giancarlo Esposito's first film, but, like, it was just, I think it's... Second film was Spike Lee because he did a, a School Days before before then. And he did She's Gotta Have It before this as well. Before Do the Right Spike, Thing. Spike Lee did, but Giancarlo... Isn't oh, there. sorry, I thought you were talking about Spike Lee. Sorry. No, no, but... <laughs> yeah, I... You know, I can't recommend this film enough. It mm. is the best Spike Lee film from what yes. I've seen. I've seen. I think I've seen the same amount of films. I need to. I need to still name the films I've seen of his. You did. You did. It was like no, six I, or seven. No, I... Hold on. She don't have it. Do the right thing. Five Bloods, 25th Hour, Do the Right Thing, Inside Inside Man, Man, Black Klansman. That's six. I remember it being seven. Maybe it's not. Oh, no, because I think I'm gearing up to see a seventh because I want to see Malcolm X at some point. (laughs) Yeah, it's very long, though, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. We got the time out. So, since graduating, what is your current watch list looking like at the moment because you said you were na- you're now going to watch things that you can see without having the guilt I didn't have that guilt yeah I was... like because um... <laughs> I was just bad at work <laughs> there, there's a few things my watch list is very random and chaotic right. there's, there's a few Ghibli films on my Netflix watch list that I need to get through uh, I watched 127 hours for the first time last night right. uh, that was really good uh a lot of them are rewatches. Like I really need okay. to rewatch No Country for Old Men because it's been like a couple of years since I've seen that, and I feel like I missed out on some stuff the first time. So, right. wouldn't mind rewatching that. Uh, I rewatched L.A. Confidential recently. <laughs> I loved your review of that. that was <laughs> it's a bit of an inside joke because we tried to watch it back in January, but because we're really good film students, we gave up halfway through and watched Bionicle: Mask of Light. Yeah. <laughs> Which is currently uh, the worst film I've seen this year. So, so for Christmas, I bought my housemate uh, for Secret Santa. <clears throat> I bought him Bionicle, Mask of Light, and then a double bill of Like Mike 1 and Like Mike 2. And I'm very annoyed, Owen, that you still haven't watched Like Mike 1. And that you've got... You, as of today, he, so sadly, we had to say goodbye to Ruben today because he moved out. But the next person moving out is Owen. And I know for a fact that he's not watching Like Mike before leaving... He might be watching it right now. He's watching Hamilton at the moment. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, 
Oh, and stop watching this amazing musical. Watch Like Mike, please. You know all of Bionicle Mask of Light is on YouTube for free. I know, and I bought it. I spent money on it. I also spent £12 on a Willem Dafoe cardboard cutout for that boy. I keep oh, getting him pointless. I thinking. made him a Doug Dimmerdome hat from scratch. Yeah. It broke. Uh, to quickly go back to what we were talking about, what, <laughs> what Spike Lee films do you want to see next, apart from Malcolm X? Like, what um, films do you I, I would be curious. To, well, I want to rewatch Inside Man at some mm-hmm. point, because my dad really likes it, and if he's on the podcast, maybe you two can debate it. <laughs> well, you, maybe yeah, I know not, your dad no. wants to talk about no, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, films, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're doing. Uh, I would like to rewatch Inside Man. No, we won't. We won't do it for the podcast. But I want to rewatch it in my own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to check out Mo Better Blues just to see yeah. what um, that right after the controversy the right is about. Yeah. Uh, it's another film he acts in as well. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not I sure. forgot to mention that his sister acts in Do the Right Thing and Mo Better Blues as well. His sister in the film is his real life sister. Oh nice. Yeah, uh, Joanna Lee, I believe, or Ju- yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't mind maybe checking out some of his documentaries as well, like Four Little Girls. I really uh, want to see that. that yeah, one looks really good. What about you? What What do you want to see of his? Um. Uh. There's some that have been like buried because he's done so many. He's done a lot. There's a film called Get on the Bus, and it has on Andre Brower from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm-hmm. And it's I just want to see him in other stuff because he, mm. like, uh, the only thing I'd seen is him he in outside Captain of Holt. Ni- yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The only thing I'd seen him in outside of Brooklyn Nine Nine was Primal Fear with Edward Norton. He's I think he's oh nice. He's he's also in uh, the film Glory, which came out the same oh, yeah. year as Do the Right Thing with yeah. Denzel. It's funny. So Danny Aiello lost the Oscar to Denzel Washington for that film. Oh, right. for, so mm-hmm. there yeah. you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, uh, I do really want to watch uh, Four Little Girls because it's meant to be a really, really good documentary. Yeah. Um, Malcolm X, when I have the time, because it's long. <laughs> Three and a half hours. Uh, there's a film called Girl 6 that wasn't received well, but I want to watch it purely based on the fact that the soundtrack is by Prince. I'm literally wearing a, a Prince... For, for <laughs> listeners at home, I'm wearing a Prince t-shirt at the moment. He is, and I then, can confirm. But like... So Spike Lee and Tarantino hate each other. Spike Lee S- seems to hate a lot of people. They they a lot of have filmmakers. a big beef, yeah. but Tarantino was in that film, and this is before they had a thick like respect. A, yeah, um, and and why do they not like each other? Is it political reasons, artistic reasons? It's based purely. Well, I know he didn't like uh, Jackie Brown in terms of how black characters were depicted on that. In terms of still haven't seen that. It's a black exploitation film, but in the way. He, Tarantino went around doing that. But Did he have main... an issue with Django Unchained? It's yeah, well. it's mainly There's... Django Unchained. Yeah, I remember you I telling understand. me about that. <laughs> he this... said he, he yeah. said it felt it felt it felt like it it would have been an insult to his ancestors if he's if he was to watch that film. Which yeah. you know, it's he's fair enough to have that opinion. No, I, I, um, I completely and then, understand. And then like Tarantino was like, "Oh, that little man needs to go get a ticket," and it's like, <laughs> "Shut up." <laughs> um, I just, I'm not sure how I feel about Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, we can. I remember that, you, you like... brought up a thing recently, which we won't go into right now. Oh, Ru- something... yeah, me and Ruben. <laughs> what, his, are you talking about his press tour for Django Unchained? No, no, I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about um, his tendency... Because you, you brought up a thing about how some directors, when they're writing 
films and directing films, they'll have their characters be like mouthpieces for their yep. film <laughs> opinions, where you'll have like this eight-year-old girl being like, oh, have you seen Fellini's latest film? And it's like, I, I hate that when directors do it. And Tarantino it's funny does you it a bit. It Spike, Spike Lee does it and she's got to have it the series. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> like, not, I don't like it when filmmakers do it because it's such a like film student thing yeah. to do. And ironically, Tarantino wasn't a film student. He didn't go to film right. school. He went straight to making films. I just yeah. I no, don't I, like it's it. It's understandable. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just um, forced and... I, you made a good point of like just let your characters be characters you know yeah well yeah. if if your character doesn't seem like it's so I'll give an example for Spike Lee because he he does it as well and mm. a lot of filmmakers do it yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah in in the She's Gotta Have It TV series Nola Darling talks about the Rashomon effect mm. and it's like and it, it's so obvious that in this scene Spike Lee just wants to talk about Rashomon and yeah. wants to talk about Akira Kurosawa that it doesn't fit the character and the character like these characters, and there's also a whole scene in that episode, I've only seen episode one of that series, where they talk about Denzel in Malcolm X and Denzel not winning, and it's like, you wrote the film, Spike. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't talk about your own films within uh, the series. That's worse in a way, because that's like, that's being a mouthpiece but, for your yeah. own arrogance, in a oh, way. Well, I, uh. Don't hate me if you ever somehow managed to listen to an obscure podcast by two Bournemouth students. <laughs> <laughs> but you know... Things stranger things have happened, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I really I don't really have any wrap ups on on do the right thing apart from just go watch it. Mm. I know we went off on on a tangent, but I to just bring it back on to do the right thing. It's it's, it's been on my watch song. list for like a year now. It's yeah. it's been one I've been meaning to watch. Take it off your watch watch lists, people. It is off my watch list. Oh uh, no, I was saying the <laughs> listeners should should do that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, we don't we don't know where we we're going in terms of what films we're going to watch next because as of well in a couple of days I by the time this podcast is out even I will be at home on the other one. We were gonna get um so our plans for the future I think we're gonna get my dad on as a guest. Yep. We know what we're doing for that episode. Um, Jack was gonna be on. Yeah, I believe we don't know at some what, point we. He's going to have to be tech savvy for this one, because he was going to do it with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll figure it out. He's used yeah. Zoom. He's used Discord. Um, yeah, and um, I just hope that my internet back home is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we don't have a lot of plans for the future. I think we're kind of just... But I'm, I'm glad we can continue it on. Like, yeah, no, it's good. It's interesting to see how the podcast has developed from, mm. obviously, before COVID, and then still managing to do it from such a distance we for listeners at home we managed to see each other very briefly a couple of weeks ago yeah uh, brief even briefly uh, more even more brief than planned because people are idiots and go to the beach and make mm. bournemouth an emergency state Ugh. thanks yeah. bournemouth thanks Thank joe you. <laughs> me what have i done i'm kidding I'm but yeah kidding. um we, you know we will meet again as they say we will um, I, I returned your dvd Thank you. Uh, this isn't interesting for the listeners. They don't care about <laughs> you returning a slice DVD. Slice of life. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in general, I, 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 we talk about it a lot, that our, our yeah. appreciation for, for the listeners continue mm. on with us. But, you know, considering we had three episodes recorded in person and then they were released late and released with, a, with our newest episode, you know, I, I'm very grateful that, you know, just a quick note. Continued on with us. 
before we wrap up, uh, we are officially international because oh, my yeah. mum has some Polish friends who she's been talking to who are hey. aware of the podcast. I don't know if they've were they actually aware listened. of it before her saying it. No, I was about to say that. No, no, no. Like... <laughs> they just stumbled upon it. Like, oh, oh, that one. No, because yeah, I, I, I I saw them the other day and they asked how was the uh, the episode on Polish films and I said it was very good. Uh, so they're they're aware of the podcast, which is good. We're, Tell, we're across the sea. <laughs> Hey Poland. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people yeah. have been very complimentary of my mum being on the episode, which is yeah. which is very good. Big up um Finn Stammers for listening. Yes, to big up Finn Stammers, big up Teresa Parkinson. Rachel Mobley. Big, big up Rachel Mobley, uh big up everyone who listens to it. Really. I don't know if Cloudy listens to the podcast, but she follows our Instagram and I'm very appreciative <laughs> of that. So Cloudy, if you're hearing this and you want to come onto the podcast, Cloudy is our programme leader for our film course. Come on the show. I'd love to Please talk do, about yeah. uh, uh, Danish films. Also, on my birthday, I got a bunch of uh, birthday messages, and one of them included a shout-out for the podcast. I think it was uh, Lewis Turner in first year. All right. He, All right, nice. <laughs> it was good. I didn't expect it. Uh, yeah, I, I worked with him on a, a 48 uh, oh, nice. recently yeah and he's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. a cool guy he's it, it, it he's nice. in um he's in barry right yes not barry is it called barry yeah no minky. it's not it's called minky <laughs> your character was called barry oh i dropped my phone uh that's that's a film that's the one film we're going to talk about today that listeners don't need to check out <laughs> everyone go on youtube and type up minky 48 don't. hour film challenge don't. directed by don't it's not good <laughs> I accidentally, like, karate chopped my phone and it slid off and hit the ground. <laughs> you know, should we say those three... Is it, yes, it's three words. Those three That's lucky words. Uh, rap. Yeah! Drags them swamps. <laughs> <laughs>